0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 87. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we begin, I should say that Rattle's a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry. And I know you love poetry because poetry you're here with us tonight. And so please do make sure you click that like button and subscribe. Wherever you're watching this or listening after the fact, you can click something or give a review or do something that tells the computers that you like us, and that'll tell other people that you like us, and then more people will listen to poetry, and that's what we want to do. So please help us out in that way. Now, today's guest is Alice Petway. Um, Alice is the author of um, The Time of Hunger from Salmon Poetry, A Moth, and Station Lights, all three from Salmon Poetry, actually. Her poetry appeared or is forthcoming in Agni, The Bitter Oleander, Colorado Review, Three Penny Review, many others. She's a world traveler, really. Um, she's also the photographer of the Ephrastic Challenge back in 2019. So you got to see some of her uh, taste in poetry. She played editor for a day there. Um, she's also former Cholitna artist and Lily Peterfellow. Currently, she lives in uh, Seattle, Washington. But right now, she's in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, here she is, Alice pet way hey alice how you doing tonight
1: hi
2: tim it is so good to be here and join everybody
0: yeah it is such a pleasure to have you um and and we didn't know where you'd be even when you did this but you're still stuck in the states i guess because uh <laughs> oops, why is my phone ringing hang on one second sorry about that see this is what you should do is you should turn off your phone
2: I actually, I'm glad you're, you're doing that. See, you embarrassed yourself instead of me embarrassing me, so I'm going to turn mine off. Yeah, this is
0: episode 87, and that's how unpopular I am. I've never turned my phone off, and it has never rung. So <laughs> occasionally I'll get a text message that's like, hey, you want to play tennis tomorrow? That was the first time I ever got a phone call, and I don't even know. it's probably a telemarketer. But anyway, do you want to, to start us out with a poem?
2: Absolutely. Let's start with, speaking of travel, um, let's start with Shanghai. Uh, it's actually the first poem in the book as well. This morning you mistook the teapot for a shoe. Understandable in this city where transubstantiation is no more divine than wash water tossed on the street. I conduct tests to determine our evolving composition. We float more easily than when we arrived at the seaside. We are becoming smog, dumpling steam, phlegm in an old man's throat. Who knows where it may lead Maybe one morning I will be the shoe, and you the teapot. Our neighbors will carry us home finally. I would like that. You on the stove, me by the door, each of us sure of purpose and
0: place. And that was the first poem in the book, Shanghai, which sort of sets up the the general theme. And from what I gather, I've only read this one book, but your other poems are kind of about this too, about sort of travel poems almost. Um, you really do. go, I mean, this is Shanghai, but you're all over the place. Um, w- what is it that that brings you so many different places in the world?
2: I guess itchy feet. I, you know, I when I was a kid, my family moved to Germany, um, West Germany at the time, actually, and I think I just got the bug. It was my parents had the foresight to not put me into an international school; they put me in a really small local German school. Uh, we were in a, a small town about, I guess, about an hour outside of Munich. And something about that integrating into a new culture it it just completely blew apart my existing worldview, and the one that I pieced back together just never seemed whole. Really, staying in one place. Um, I mean, why have one culture when you can have multiple cultures?
0: hmm And and so, what have you, um, like like what have you been doing that that has allowed you to do that? Because it's not easy to travel so much either. Do you have a, a job that that lets you do that or, um. How does how does that work?
2: Yeah, a number of different things. I mean, ultimately, I've found ways to make it happen. But um, so you know, I was in Germany as a kid with my family, and then um, I joined the Peace Corps at a sort of bizarrely uh, old old age compared to most Peace Corps volunteers. My husband and I, mid career, just sold our house and the car, and found a temporary home for the dog, and joined the Peace Corps. Oh and, wow! That got us to Mozambique for two years. Um, and then luckily, my husband's an educator. Uh, he's a microbiologist. And so then we figured out that he could teach internationally. And because I'm a writer, I can typically do any job I'm doing remotely. So that kind of, that was our vehicle for a couple of countries. We were in Colombia and then in China. And so we've just, we've found ways to make it around.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have a kind of a journey through these poems. But but where is your, your favorite place that that you've lived, you think?
2: that's like asking my favorite child. You can't, it's not a fair question. I mean, I, I love all the places I've lived and of course there are beautiful and difficult things about all of them, but um, yeah, I can't tell you. It's not It's not a fair question, but <laughs> but as we go through the poems, maybe you'll see the things I love about mm-hmm. each.
0: Well, let me ask you, what, what is the most, what, what place felt the most different from um, sort of Western typical, you know, where most of the audience is here?
2: I think I hate to make broad generalizations about cultures and the distance between them. But for me personally, I think the place that was maybe the most, um, I guess the most difficult fit or the most different for me and my personality was definitely China. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up in a small Texas town. I think our population sign when I graduated said like 432 or something, not thousand, four hundred and thirty-two. period. And Shanghai has... 27 million people i think is the current official count um so that that was difficult for me Um, and a lot a lot of station lights i think is me digesting that coping with it
0: well let's hear another maybe the next two poems that you wanted to read Uh, what's next
2: let's move to um, still life it's not true what they say about dust How typically egotistical of us to think the drift of gray across a shelf is some version of ourselves. Cells escaped from arms and hands and face, then sifted from air by gravity. Sure, there are a few human bits among the carpet fibers and dirt, but not enough to matter. The idea was comforting before I knew the truth. I almost thought I could feel myself settled in the crevices of the places I've been before, A phantom synapse stretching from city to city, firing when a friend's hand brushed a book clean, or took an old bottle off the top of a cabinet. The links we go to, always denying the boundaries of things, the ends.
0: And that was Still Life um, from Station Lights. Uh, Let's hear another one. Hear me turning pages here.
2: Um, uh, I think we're going to read death custom and this, I actually wrote this while I was in Colombia, and a Colombian friend had told me about some of the, I guess the old traditions about burying and the cemeteries that, and I, I hope I haven't misunderstood this, you know, but this was from her, her narrative. She said that they would not leave a body in the ground necessarily that they would, after some amount of time, it, the family would be obligated to come and take it away. Um, and it just got, it got me thinking about that, this, and this poem is Death Custom. There's too much land here, enough to store every last rotting bit as long as we like. In closer country, measures are taken, bones dug up after a few years, an emptying as natural as a weekend morning when the jam no longer fits on the shelf in the refrigerator. When you pull each tub out of its corner and pop the lid, examine the damage. The chill slows things down, but nothing stops the mold. Best to toss the whole mess in the trash, but even then the spores get away from you, drifting along the hallway, demanding attention after the forgetting. They know they were worthy once of preservation. What is a grave, if not a cabinet? For the things we have let wait too long.
0: And that was death. Custom again from station lights. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about about the metaphor um, that the you know the it's I think it's the last line in the book, right, or or maybe toward the end of the book that what the station lights are. But what are the station lights, and why did you choose that as the title?
2: I think I chose that because it, I think all of the important things in life, or at least most of them, tend to happen between the big events you know it's not the wedding it's the marriage it's the it's not the graduation it's what you learned i mean those those are the the ones we think of right it's not the funeral it's all the things that happened before and after that and i think that particularly for someone like me who's had a tendency to shift from from culture to culture um those those big events become even more lost and blurred even the connections, the important connections we think of, um, you know, the, the family you're born into, your hometown, those things, they start to lose definition. And I think that we have a tendency in, in many cultures to look to those events and people as a signpost in a way. We know we're moving forward, we know we're safe, we know that we know we're grounded. And when those go away, there's something that happens and it can be difficult. It can be disorienting, but it can also free us from those boundaries that have been imposed upon us. And I, that's really what I, I wanted station lights to be as a book was an exploration of that space in between the stations.
0: Yeah. It's a perfect title. It it really captures that sense. I, I kept thinking of that, that sort of phrase, Um, you know, if you, um, what is it? If you were, uh, if you lived here you'd be home by now like as you kind of like travel through um you know there's so much sort of going on in the places in between or something it's just a very great visual like the train is such a a great i don't know representation of travel and, and movement and being in different places and things like that i think it really works well it's a great title um and did you do the cover art too i know you do photography uh, was that your photograph
2: it is, and it wasn't my plan. I had all of these visions of. So China has amazing train stations. They're just these enormous sort of geographic structures, and that was my plan. But then um, I left China, and a pandemic happened, and China didn't let me back in. Uh, so I actually was wandering around. I'm act I'm living outside of Seattle in Issaquah, which is a smaller town and was wandering around with my camera and came across these great, this great concrete wall and the tracks and thought, oh, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's the cover.
0: So um, how much photography do you do? Because you do that, there was a great photograph. Everything I've seen of yours is black and white. Um, and there's a great photograph that we did for the Ekphrastic Challenge. Um, I think other covers are in the same style, so I assume other covers of your past books are yours too, right? They are. Um, so how much photography do you do? Um, I know your website says Alice Petway Writer, Um, but, but your photography is great. So how, what do you do with photography? Is it just, um, a sort of minor thing compared to the poetry or is it something you focus on a lot too?
2: For me, it's not minor. Um, I think as a, as someone who's chosen not only as poetry, but also I, you know, I pay the bills using writing as well. So my whole day and, you know, this is, this is just part of the gig is having people edit my work. And that's great, it makes my work better, I embrace that. A good editor is the best resource you can have. But it also can be a little creatively exhausting. And I found at some point, many years ago, decades ago, that I needed a creative outlet that was just mine. Not that I didn't wanna get better or seek advice or any of that, but that if I wanted to, I could just turn off the editorial spigot and say, I'm just gonna go do this and it can be whatever it is and I can grow as slowly or as quickly as makes sense for me. Um, And so that's how photography started for me. And I do a lot of photography, I always have my camera. Um, But somewhere along the way, some of the editors who published my work started realizing I was doing photography, and so a photo crept in here and there. Um, But everyone has always been very respectful of what it is to me, which is a creative release. And I, I guard it pretty closely in that way.
0: Yeah, I always think uh, this is one of those thoughts that I've I've had, but I've never like come to terms with. I don't really know why, but I feel like photography and poetry have something really deeply in common. I'm not sure quite what it is. Do you think that they do? Like, there's something about how, uh, um, like how a moment, like like a poem is a story of a moment or something, and so is a picture or something. There's like a freezing of time, even in like narrative poems. You kind of do that too. Um, is uh, how do you think? Do you, do you go about um, finding things to photograph and approaching photography similar to poetry? Like, how do you feel like they're related?
2: Yeah, I think they are really similar. And maybe especially because I feel like a lot of my poetry is, is deeply rooted in image. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely think about – I often end up writing poems – About things I've seen while I was out with my camera. That's the in the kernel that starts the poem. Mm -hmm. So I think that my brain is in the same place for sure. You know, it's interesting. I was at a a residency out in Alaska a couple years ago and overlapped for a few weeks with a field recordist. And of course, his medium is purely audio. Right? He sees the world only through the sounds. And it was really interesting interacting with him both as a writer and as a photographer. And Thinking about how your brain shifts when you your primary sense that you're you're focusing on when you tighten down on that one sense. And after I met him, I wrote a number of poems that focused mainly on sound. And I, I suspect that I've been my photography, and my poetry have been vibrating off each other in ways for years that I didn't even necessarily know kind of amplifying each other
0: do you um do you write poems after your photos at all? Is that something have you done your own ekphrastic, or is it like completely separate?
2: <laughs> it's uh, consciously it's completely separate. I don't ever write to my photography, but like I said, I suspect there's a connection there that because I'm looking at things and then I am writing poems that are that are heavily image based so there must be I know that at some point I've photographed something that I later wrote a poem about i I just don't know that I've ever done it consciously. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, uh, let's hear a couple more poems, but let me uh, let everyone know. If you have any questions for Alice Petway, make sure you leave them in the uh, chat windows. I'm watching YouTube and Facebook, but nothing else. So find YouTube or Facebook if you're going to leave a question, and I'll pass it along for Alice. Uh, Do you want to read a couple more poems?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Let me get through my stack here. This one is titled Stitched, and it's on page 22.
0: Ah, thanks. I was looking.
2: (laughs) Twice around a finger... Roll and pull, the quick way to tie a knot. Chicken heads, the old women called them if you wrapped three times or four or rolled too far. A proper lady ties a slim twist or slides her thread between the layers of fabric, letting friction hold the line. I could never learn the trick of it, a future stitched together with no end point. Temptation for any stranger to yank exposing bare cotton Maybe fragility was the point. And that was stitched
0: uh, from Station Lights. Let's hear another.
2: I'm going to read Bath House. And this is, this is actually one of my favorite things about Shanghai and Asia in general. There's something so lovely about how people come together just as humans in bathhouses. All pretense gone. It's I miss it. I miss it a lot. Uh, and this one is titled Bath House. I am hungry for the curve of stomach, for stubble, a ripple of fat. And even though I know I am not supposed to, I memorize the thighs beside me, the press of muscle and flesh under the water. The women of my childhood were draped like furniture for a long absence, their shapes mysterious and ripe for speculation. Next to me, a woman bathes, running her hand between the folds of her skin as comfortably as my mother ran her hands over a soapy plate. Maybe when I return home from this place where we are allowed to know each other, I will walk naked among the houses, calling out to the girls who live there and may never see any breast but their own unless they run into the street to witness mine.
0: Excellent, and that was a bathhouse, from Station Lights. Um, as you can tell, um, your poems are, are on the shorter side. Um, they're really like snippet, like little vignettes. Um, and is that something that you do consciously? And have you always written that way, or do you find yourself like condensing more and more? Now, this is your third book. Um, is that the style that you're drawn to? And 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 why do you like the the shorter sort of condensed? They're all all very image based too. What, going back to the photography, I think. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, what, what do you think draws you to that style
2: well actually uh, these are long poems for me <laughs> <laughs> I've actually expanded slightly as I've, as I've become an older writer but um, I think you'd think I would be used to answering this question because I get asked about the length a lot and I struggle with it and I think it's because I can't I've never been able to imagine going on. I feel like the strength of poetry, of my poetry, not poetry in general, because there are poets I love who write longer poems, but the strength of whatever is in the poetry that's in me, and I don't know that we get to totally choose that, but the poems that are in me are strong because they are condensed, because the fat has been cut away from them. And maybe I did learn that through photography, Maybe I've been an editor a lot of my life in my other writing world. Maybe professionally honing the skill of cutting away the extra from other people's work has made my work tighter as well. I just, I can't imagine anything more.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. It feels to me, it's interesting too, because Denise Duhamel was last week's guest. And she's Mm -hmm. such like a maximalist, like there's sort of a, a big voice that's sort of like, booming out of her poems and they go on and and different things come up and they have tangents and things. It's like the opposite. And um, Liz Winfield here says the poems reverberate like good haiku. I think that's a good way to put it because it seems like all the space and silence around short poems ends up meaning just as much as the poem themselves. It's like the way they can kind of hang in the air um, that, that works really well. And that's, that's what works really well too. Um, Richard Westheimer mentions great ending. And, and that's one of the things I noticed too, is that you always have really good endings in your poems. And I wonder if that's why they, they stay short. Like you find a great ending and, and it's like done, you know, um, how do you, how do you come to endings? And, and I'm wondering what your, your process is like too. Um, do they, do the, the poems mostly come out like I think there's there's a couple different ways people tend to write. Either they write a lot and then pick the ones that work, kind of like how photography works. I assume, like you take a thousand pictures and one's the winner. Um, or do you um, like do you know what you're doing and, and put it out this way, sort of intentionally at first? Or how how does the writing process work and how do you get to the endings that you, you come up with?
2: Well, first I have to credit my mentor all the way. So my I'm studying in college under Miller Williams. And we became great friends for years after. But in grad school, he used to—he'd cross out like ten or fifteen lines at the ends of my poems, and he'd say, "You, you lost the end. You lost the end. You overwrote it. You overwrote it." And so he—he he sort of knocked that tendency out of me. And so I do credit him with that. i, I feel like I do have a firm grasp on when I've gotten to the end of the poem. I do occasionally miss it still, um, but. I think that I learned that from him, knowing where you've you've hit that line. As far as my process, I I almost always start with a single image, um, and I don't. I actually keep a notebook as I walk around and do things and jot jot down images I've seen, um, and sometimes I don't use them for years. Sometimes I'll go back and find a notebook and see that I jotted down an image, and then I develop around that and think, what is this? what does this mean? What does this symbolize? What could it symbolize? What is it? What did it mean then when I saw it? What does it mean now? Um, How does it maybe connect with these other images that I've jotted down? And those patterns come slowly for many years after often.
0: Um, Christine Bissonette asked, sort of riffing on what I was saying, but what role do you think silence plays in the movement and experience of poetry? Is that something that you think about, the, the silence that surrounds your poems?
2: I absolutely do. I facilitate a community poetry workshop in my town. And we were just last week, we were chatting about what lends emphasis in a poem. And one of the things we were talking about is, I mean, any anything that stands out different from its surrounding, of course, is that lens emphasis. But we were talking about silence and white space a lot. And I think that that's what I instinctively turn to. When when you make the reader pause and you can do that visually like you would in a photograph, right A good photograph also makes someone pause in some way. But to use that and to force force someone to move in a certain direction with the silence or the space if you're talking visually, which of course a poem can do both, that's it's a handshake almost with the reader. You're saying you're moving and I don't know handshake isn't the right maybe more like a, a dance. You're showing the steps to them with that silence and then you can move together.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the, the line breaks come into play too with that, I think. Um, you know, like the, the line break is always a pause. Are you very conscious about line breaks as you go? Um, and do you, do you like work with them and, and change poems around using the, the beauty of, um, you know, word processors nowadays make it so much easier than it would be on a typewriter. Um, do, you, do you play with line breaks a lot in the editing process?
2: Absolutely. And if you went back and found some of these poems that are in Station Lights in their original form and journals, the line breaks would be totally different.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so Vicky Miko asked um, about, where did it go? Um, oh, here it is. She says, um, please talk a little bit about the Cholitna artist and how that came about. I don't really know anything about it except for I read it in your bio. So what what is that?
2: Well, it's an incredible residency is what it is. I will plug them all the way. It's um, so Steve Silver runs a lodge to in a lodge out of uh, it's kind of a remote area of Alaska. It's on Lake Clark. And he's generous enough to I mean, he has paying guests that come every summer, but he's generous enough to host artists and writers, musicians, um, dancers, any sort of um, artist. And then depending on the length of your fellowship, they hosted me for six weeks and I just got to be in the Alaskan backcountry and they took care of me and fed me amazing food and I had my own yurt and I just got to write unimpeded for six weeks. It was utterly incredible.
0: Is that something that you um, do a lot? Do you, have you done other retreats or is that the only um, sort of fellowshipy retreat that you've done?
2: That's the first one I've done. I'm actually scheduled to go to Art Omi later this year, um, which I'm really excited about. But I had never, I mean, I've been writing for, gosh, I mean, over 20 years now. How does that happen? Um, And this is the first time I've done anything like that. And maybe it was, I, I also am really stimulated by writing in nature. And the Chulitner Residency is, not only is it, itself remote the lodge is remote but they were really supportive I'm a, a pretty experienced outdoors woman and they completely supported me going out on my own so there would be you know a week at a time that I would just be out in the kayak with my backpack in a tent and you know wherever and then I could come back in and have kind of a home base in the lodge so it was fabulous I now I just want to do that over and over again <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah uh Caitlin Caitlin Buxbaum who's our, our local um our Alaskan poet here wants to know where in Alaska it was.
2: Uh, it was on Lake Clark.
0: Mm-hmm. Which is where, like in the what near near what city? Or?
2: Um So, well, okay, I'm going to show some of my ignorance of Alaskan geography. But I flew in. I flew into Anchorage. I got on a really tiny bush plane, which mm-hmm. was thrilling and somewhat terrifying. We flew over the mountains west, and then landed on I think the east side of Lake Clark, and then boated across to the lodge so
0: oh wow yeah i've never been out there what did you see like like bears and in, in all sorts of nature was it uh were you uh did you have any bear encounters i mean i'd be i'd be afraid of grizzlies did you have a gun with you no
2: but i did stumble upon somebody who had a gun that i think we scared each other more than the oh, bears really?
0: <laughs> i don't know i watched that uh that grizzly man documentary and ever since then i i do not want to be around those grizzly bears <laughs> We actually
2: got we got stuck in the sauna. There was this amazing little uh, wood-burning sauna. And there was a window, so you could see the lake. But uh, it was a brown bear, not a grizzly. But a brown bear came and just parked himself outside of the sauna. So we couldn't leave. Uh, we got really warm. I think he maybe was trying to cook us. I'm not...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, Caitlin, Caitlin says uh, that she's never even heard of that workshop, which is just, there's just so many like opportunities. Uh, Maybe, maybe it'd be helpful to, um, let everyone know how you found it. Cause there's so many, you know, opportunities that we just have no idea about. Um, did, how did you, was it word of mouth? Did you, were you looking for residencies? How did you, how did you find it?
2: I was looking I needed to get out of the city I knew that it was my writing had hit kind of a wall being there and so I was looking essentially for the most remote thing I could find and so I was doing some pretty specific research um but they do have a website and and I I think that would be my advice is just go out and figure out what you want and probably exist
0: somewhere in the world yeah yeah um let's see um Uh, So Warren, to get back to the poem sort of topic, uh, Warren Nedvornik says, um, do you find yourself favoring certain poetic forms depending on which city you're writing in or about? How does the place influence what you're writing other than just the imagery and the scenes that you're witnessing? Is there a way that it changes the voice too or the the form?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I don't know so much form. That's interesting. I'll have to think on that. I know that... Because I've picked up languages along along the way, some more proficiently than others. <laughs> but I think the structures of languages definitely have changed how I write in English um, syntactically, the sounds, even the cadence of how people speak day to day on the street. That has definitely affected my poetry.
0: Mm-hmm. And how many? What languages do you speak? Um,
2: yeah, some of these I hesitate to say I speak them. These, these are languages I have functioned at some level in on a day-to-day basis. Um, my Spanish and Portuguese are probably strongest. I spoke German fluently as a kid, but have lost and regained it a number of times as an adult. Um, I would say my Mandarin is probably like a respectful three-year-old. I'm going to give, give myself that level. Um, I speak a little bit of market shizwa from my time in Mozambique. That's yeah. I think that's
0: it. Answer that. Well, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, let's hear a couple more poems. Now, what did you want to read next?
2: Let's go to defense mechanism, and that's page twenty-six. Yeah, thanks. In the cold months, my hands reach for warmth. One sweater at first, then another, a coat found on a bench. Wool knitted on small needles. Quills bristling from rayon. The slow build of soot on an unkempt chimney. The thaw comes later each year and the zippers are more stubborn. Last August, I bathed in my own heat until an old woman in the Metro yanked at my sleeve. Coward, she said. And I was ashamed, but also frightened and could not bring myself to strip down there in the lights and the rush of an incoming train.
0: That was defense mechanism. Um, Let's do another.
2: Let's do hesitation. And this is on page 43. Some mornings I dream again and again that I have woken. I wear a sweater or shower with a blouse dangling from the rod wrinkles disappearing in the steam. The anxiety of choice played out in the back and forth of my eyes behind their lids. Rabbits in the brush, knowing they are seen. Imagination leaping down the path or into the burrow. No decision wholly justifiable. I've made a habit of forgetting the spoon in my hand, being startled by boiling water. It's my mouth. It is still chewing past lives. First milk squeezed from coconut, cheese melted in chocolate, scraped across toast. My tongue is stubborn. Even after the alarm clock of jet engines and customs agents, it does not wake up. I stand sleeping in the kitchen with it, waiting to discover which sequence I am in, which pan I should be stirring. My father hit a deer on Highway 71 last winter. The trees stood, identical matchsticks by the road, burned out by sunset. He said she didn't even twitch. I don't believe it, any more than I believe it was the headlights that hypnotized her. In the dark, all choices look the same. She was just waiting for the light.
0: That was Hesitation from Station Lights, Alice Petway's newest book, which is just about to come out. I don't think it's officially released yeah. yet, but it's available for pre-order. Yeah. Um, so check it out at alicepetway.com for a, for a pre-order copy of this book. Um, talk a little bit about um, h- how has um, just being such a traveler affected your your ability to promote and, and write? And, you know, because you write the poems and you make a book and then you have to sort of market it and figure out what to do with it after that um, a lot of poets have you know boxes of books in their garage <laughs> that they're trying to get rid of uh, but obviously you if you're moving around all the time can't do that um, do you do Do you get to do a lot of readings as you travel um, how does how does being a traveling sort of nomadish type person um, affect your ability to to be a poet in, in the sort of capacity of, of a poet's like life
2: it, it makes it a little strange sometimes <laughs> But it also is is wonderful because I think that just because, I'm spoiler alert, poets don't make a lot of money. (laughs) So nobody's paying for extravagant, you know, author tours for us. We're not, you know, like staying in five star hotels and doing, you know, book readings around the country, you know, wherever we live. But what traveling in other parts of my life has done is it's allowed me to interact with readers in lots of places that I never ever would have otherwise. And that too has deeply affected my work because I get to hear from people and have conversations with people about poetry that I wouldn't otherwise. Um like I was uh I had a hundred and I think a hundred and fifteen uh Korean middle school kids in the Zoom call a couple of weeks ago and uh in a few weeks I'm I'm meeting with uh, a class at Carnegie Mellon Africa and so these are places and people that I, I know because of my travels, and I probably would never read for those people and have conversations with those people if it weren't for that, nom- what did you say, nomadish part of my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And you just, I think I saw on your website that you just did a reading um, in Fayetteville, and that's one of the reasons why you're in the area, uh, right? Um, with the library it's, there? I,
2: well, this year has been strange. Um, I do, i so I am going to do a reading at the Fayetteville mm-hmm. Public. Poly- library, but it, it will be remote. And it was planned long before I ever knew I would be able to come home thanks to the vaccines coming out. So weirdly, I will be a few blocks away doing a reading in the same town that I intended to do from a different city. So
0: hello. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask about. I was, you know, I saw that on the calendar and I was like, how is that? You, like you're in Fayetteville. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Are they going to have, I was wondering if they were going to have it outside or anything. So you just haven't been able to do any readings in the last year, right? Yeah. Not but curious. your your husband is back in China. And I think you got separated, um, you know, because of the, the pandemic. Um, what is it like for him there? Because we talked to Anthony Tao, um, a couple of weeks ago, and he said it was like wide open, and they have like open mic nights, and he's a mm-hmm. musician, too. And they have band, you know, it's just, do, do you feel like jealous that he's there and gets to be a little <laughs> bit more free? <laughs>
2: there is a little bit of jealousy so my husband's also a musician and yeah he's doing gigs every weekend I mean he's doing two three gigs a week and it's totally normal and open um yeah so he's there and I'm here and it it was just a weird year I actually came to Seattle on what was supposed to be a three-week work trip business trip and then ended up living out of a suitcase well essentially until now I still have a I have not been back to my apartment in Shanghai and I probably won't be because my husband's coming back to the U S so I'll never see that apartment again. Probably.
0: (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. How how did you, did you like find a place to stay? Was it really hard? Were you like sort of stuck in in, and having trouble at first?
2: No. Well, luckily I had family that I was staying with for the work trip, but um, yeah, it was a bit of an odd thing before I left China. I had, I had just seen something about this virus. Nobody knew what it was. And um, I had actually posted about it on social media before I left and had worn a mask. It wasn't really taking off yet, but there was just kind of this peripheral knowledge of it in China and got to Seattle. And then when it hit in the US, uh, I mean, complications, but my husband did get to me at that point. And we said, this is about to hit hard. And we got an apartment and got furniture. Ran around, bought a garage sale, did all this, and then we were locked down, like a week and a half later. So, it happened fast. I mean, yeah. forever.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a crazy year it's been for for sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about what your um your your writing work is like outside of poetry? What is it that you do? And and do you find ways to put get poetry in there, or is it totally separate? I actually have um we have an intern at this um art center that I'm um part of on the board for the first time and I thought oh well I'm a writer I can help you know, do articles and press release and stuff and I just I don't know the um the the writing is so different from creative writing it seems to me I don't even know what advice to give I, I'm finding um <laughs> how, how do you um like, what is it that you do exactly and, and do you find any poetry in it or is it like just another thing that happens to be involved with words
2: no, it's funny. You say, "What do I do?" And probably, if you named a thing that involves words, probably I have done it at some point in my career because I was determined that I was going to make a living writing, and I have done that in a lot of different and strange ways over the years. Sometimes, but now I've done everything from um, advocacy journalism. I've written a lot about reproductive rights policy, and that's really close to my heart. Um, I've worked in marketing. I've worked in publishing. I've and yeah, I always sneak poetry in. Always, there is a way to get it in. Like it will be in there somewhere. Um, but that writing also comes back and affects my poetry in surprising and sometimes really delightful ways. I think because it makes you, it makes you think about words in a different way and use them because the purposes are so different. I think that it. Um, trying to find a way to put this into words. It's like if you had a hammer and somebody told you, you have to go paint a picture with this hammer and it, it would be really tough and confusing, but then you would be the person with the the magical knowledge how to paint with a hammer. <laughs> and I feel like doing that, that's, that's what my career has done to me. I've been forced to use these creative writing skills in all these different ways. And now I have the magic ability to paint with a hammer.
0: <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I love the way you put that. Um, what, what do you plan on like doing next? Like do you, you said your husband's coming back. Um, like like what, what area of um, the writing sort of world, all the different writing tools, uh, what area do you like the most? And are you trying to head in a certain direction with, the, with that kind of writing? Or um, is, it, is it more focused on the poetry? What do you, what do you plan on doing?
2: I mean poetry is the writing of my heart and it always will be I was I i am pretty certain my parents have recordings of me giving fake poetry readings when I was six or seven so there's there's no debating that poetry is always at the top of the stack and um but other than that I, I think that poetry does this it allows you to use words in a way that makes a difference in the world Um be it a big way it's not you know when I write about policy I feel like I'm you know advocating for these big changes that affect millions of people maybe but poetry I think can be just as powerful it's maybe not as specific or as concrete but I think for an individual interacting with a poem it can be every bit as powerful
0: yeah say a little more about that like why what what is it about poetry that makes it powerful in that way
2: I think what it is is It's that silence. I think it throws us into a vacuum that other kinds of writing don't necessarily, because most people don't interact with poetry day in and day out. So it sort of shocks us out of our normal form of communication. And in that state of startling or shock or disruption, I think we're more open to hearing what the writer is saying and interacting with it i think when we read a tweet or we you know nothing against social media a social media people um but i think that when we interact in in those more expected ways we kind of go into auto drive and so we're not really hearing what the conversation is and with poetry you have to hear it you can't help but hear it
0: yeah. Um, you mentioned, uh, writing poetry and giving fake poetry readings when you were a kid. Um, <laughs> that, that just makes, I always wonder like how people were drawn into it. Do you remember the first time, did you, um, was it writing a poem or was it reading a poem that made you sort of love the language of poetry? Do you, do you remember sort of your door into this as a, as something that you're passionate about?
2: I definitely remember my conscious door into it. I, I don't remember this, but I understand that my my mother actually read poetry to me even while she was pregnant. She started reading poetry to me. So maybe I'm a result of that. But I do remember I had this poetry collection for children and I would stay up at night. I would stay awake and read it. I traced all the illustrations. I hand copied out all the poems. That was my source for my fake poetry readings. I would read these poems out of this book and I was just captivated by it.
0: Do you remember the first time that you wrote a poem that, that surprised you, that that you didn't know you knew? Because so many people mention that that's the thing that drives them to keep writing, is that experience of, of not knowing you knew whatever it is that comes out, like surprising yourself. Do you remember the first time that you surprised yourself in a poem?
2: Oh, that is such a great question. I want to think about it, not just give you a fake answer. I think probably... I don't know, when you're when you're studying poetry like you do in grad school, that surprise, I mean, that's important in your learning and all that, but I don't know that there's that sense of surprise necessarily because you're so consciously trying things out. So it was probably after that. I'm gonna say it was probably, the first time a poem deeply surprised me. I lost two people really important to me. Um, between my first and second book and moth is is largely about those losses and some of those poems as i wrote them the there were things about my grief that i did not understand until the poems were on the page
0: mm-hmm. and did you think um the poems like helped you get through that that grief was a part of the healing process
2: yeah i think they did
0: um
2: they certainly made it more intense for a little, a little while. My husband accused me of writing a death book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: But ultimately, yes, I think they did.
0: Yeah, it seems to me that, that the main thing that poetry does is that, that they help make sense of the world. And, and that's kind of what, what grief is and what a lot of emotions are, is trying to make sense of what you've been through. You know, and I think that's sort of the main. If it could be distilled into one thing that a poem does, it might be that. Would you, Would you agree, or do you think? Um, like what What is the the purpose of poetry? To ask the broadest question possible, um, is it that, or is it something else? Do you think, or is it just too many different purposes to even say?
2: It's probably different for every poet, and probably different for every reader as well. I would say, but maybe maybe I can tackle more effectively what it is for me. I think for me, it is, it's a way of understanding the world and it's a way of kind of throwing that, uh, understanding the world, but then broadcasting that back out to readers almost as a, a check or a a prompt to to say and maybe maybe this is the the nomadish part of me but sometimes the world can be a really big overwhelming disorienting place and to me you put poetry out there as a writer and you say hey is this is this a true thing this is true for me is it true for you too and unfortunately we don't always get to hear the answer but but you know it's out there and somebody is reading it and, and maybe they are finding it true too. And that feels like an anchor to me.
0: Yeah. That's a really interesting way to put it. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, I hate small talk, you know, like, like just talking to people, if you see them, like, I know it's friendly and it's what you're supposed to do, but it bores the hell out of me. And, and when you, when you put it like that, it kind of seems like poetry is the opposite of small talk. It's like, like get to the big stuff, you know, mm-hmm. get to the interesting, important things like what makes you, you, and, and how does that relate to what makes me, me? And there's this whole like really intimate um, process that goes on with it that, that, yeah, I, I liked how you put that. Um, so switch gears a little bit, but Carlton Johnson asks, um, he says, I love the images in your poems. Thank you for sharing them tonight. I was curious as we are in the national poetry month, what were your poetic influences? You already mentioned Miller Williams, uh, but besides for, for Miller, who else is your poetic influences?
2: The list is way too long to even go there. But I'm I'm going to admit something I do before I give a reading. I always jot down a list of what I've been reading lately. Because one, I get nervous on screen. And then I can't even think of my own name, let alone anyone else's. But also, I think when I think about who has influenced me, you know, of course, they're, you know, your mentor, that's always huge, right? And of course, I mentioned Miller first, but as I change and evolve as a writer, I'm every writer I interact with is influencing me. And I interact with different poets every day, luckily. Um, you know, not in person, but we all get to do that as readers, and I'm a reader too. Um, the ones I've been reading lately, I, I, there was a really great poem. It wasn't in the most recent uh, Three Penny Review. I, I can't, couldn't tell you the issue, but there was a poem, Ken, by Adam Chiles. I might mispronounce his name, I think Chiles. Um, that really struck me. And I keep going back to that one lately. And, um, Matt Resmussen's, uh, Black Aperture. That's one that really has hooked me in with its imagery. Uh, Danusha Lamaris, which I think you spoke to her recently, right?
0: Yeah. She was on about a year ago. She's great. Yeah. Her, uh, what was that? I can't remember the name. I see the picture in my head though. It's a great cover too, she's a great, Yeah. Poet, yeah.
2: Maybe the Moons of Autumn? Was that what you were talking to her about?
0: I can't no, remember. No, it was the more recent one. Yeah. Yeah. It's like purpley on the cover. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. It's great, though. It's episode like maybe 50 ish or something, if anybody wants to go back.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but it, there's a whole list. And I think that there's, there's something you can take away from any poem. And I try to expose myself to as many as I can.
0: Um, and, and what would your um, advice be? For somebody who's sort of starting out in poetry, like like how would you? Uh, I don't think you haven't you haven't taught, right? Um, you haven't had students. I taught while I was getting my MFA.
2: Ah, okay. So, and, so
0: what would your advice to a student be?
2: I think. I think the first thing you have to do is find. Not necessarily find what you want to say, because I think you don't find that ever. I'm still looking for that. You know, every poem is a search for that. But more, find the way that you are most comfortable saying everything, because whatever that mode is, whatever that groove you can settle into, the way you use words, if you can find that base, you can grow from it. You can change it. You can play from. You can play with it. But like i said i can't imagine writing a long poem i know that about myself Mm -hmm. and my poems will change and they'll be different in five years and ten years but i don't think i'm ever going to write a 20 page poem that's just not how i interact with words and so when you start to know those things about yourself i think you you narrow the scope of what you're juggling and you can really get down to figuring out what you want the poem to be
0: Mm -hmm. Um, well bonfire opera was a was denisha Lamaris' book i just yes. kind of think it was a great title and I, all i could think of was great title great title what was it <laughs> um anyway do you want to there's run up on time do you want to finish up with two last poems um, since they're sort of on the shorter end i thought maybe instead of one we do two
2: absolutely um i'm gonna go to to the man who practices an old keyboard two floors up and that's on page 47 Let's pretend electricity doesn't come into it. That the only current driving your notes is the rush of impulse across synapse, down the dark tunnels of your fingers onto the white expanse of key, moth skittering across frozen pane. That the imagined tilt of hammer into string is the buzz of wings catching themselves against air. The arpeggio you practiced Thursday unwound one beat at a time, like the socks the downstairs neighbor hangs on his line, but wetter, drops falling fatter and faster until I peered out at the city from behind a waterfall of sound, the weight of it vibrating the concrete around me. I listen for your mistakes, collect them. I kept the sixth you wedged into the coda this morning, Ugly and comforting
0: excellent poem, and that was uh the man to the man who practices an old keyboard two floors up
2: I don't write long poems, but sometimes I write long titles. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you get a lot in that title uh where was it that 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 man was practicing which which city was that in
2: that was shanghai also uh-huh. Uh-huh. and he did every every yeah, I guess every day pretty much
0: yeah that's that's nice. Um, Okay, one last poem to close it out.
2: Okay. Well, since we're closing out, I'm going to end with subtraction. And that is page 61. Five apples. A stranger takes one. There are four. I eat them. Or maybe the freeze comes late after the buds, and the branches hang heavy and bare as my hand reaching for the coffee I forgot I had given up. Wine still in its bottle, a mind beating blankly against its shell. Bare as the road that ends at my hometown, the accent that has finally released my tongue and lips into vagrancy. I have three memories. Time takes two. There is one, but it isn't worth keeping. I forget. Then there is a white space where I am meant to write an answer.
0: Excellent. That was the subtraction from Station Lights, the newest book hot off the presses by Alice Petway. Um, what do you have in the works? Do you have um, more poems coming up? Is this, or is this um, like, is there another book sort of in the works? Or um, is, this, is this sort of, are you taking take a break after you put this one together?
2: No, actually, um, while I was in Alaska at Chulitna, I wrote an entire new manuscript in Homestead, um, which oh, was in yeah. Rattles, that manuscript. So it's uh, no big official announcement yet, but it is, I'm working toward getting that out to folks.
0: Excellent. Well, everybody can look forward to that. And thanks so much for sharing these poems and talking to us today, Alice.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Tim.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Have a good night. Night. Bye. Yeah, so that was Alice Petway. And uh, her newest book, which I think I have to put, I don't have the cover except for right here, Uh, but Alice's book is, uh, the cover there is Station Lights, that's her photography. All of her books are from Salmon Poetry, Uh, and this is the newest one, Station Lights, Moth is the most recent before that. You can find Alice's work at uh, her website, which is alicepetway.com, that's A-L-I-C-E-P-E-T-T-W-A-Y.com and um it's just a pleasure talking to alice today so so glad uh, you could join us for this now we're going to be moving on to the open mics um and so let me tell you how it all works really quickly if you would like to participate i put the numbers up on screen um so first thing you do is email the poem you want to share or a link to it if it's published online to open mic at rattle.com that's open m-i-c at rattle.com so do that right now and uh That's the first thing you do. And then we can show the poem as you read it, like we always do, like we were just doing with Alice's work. Um, And then you can pick one or the other. Don't do both, just one or the other, because otherwise I'll call you twice. And that's confusing. Um, But send me a chat message to Rattle Poetry, all one word, over Skype, if you would like to join in that way. Um, That's how you do it on video. And uh, just say hi. I'll say hi back. Then I'll call you when it's your turn. The other option is to call by phone, 818-850-7727. That's 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times and hang up, and then I will call you back when the time is right. Um, Now we're going to take a quick break. I'll let you know who the next week's guest is. I'm going to stretch my legs, get the uh, open mic situated, give you a little time to send your poems in. Um, The prompt this week was to write, it was based on uh, Denise Duhamel's suggestion to write a letter poem to an abstract concept. And that was the the prompt for this week. If you'd like to participate in that, but you can share anything on the open lines. You can share news poems from from Poets Respond if you'd like. You can share anything, something that was recently published, and send me a link if it was online. I can show that as you read it. That's always fun. So whatever you'd like to share, please get it ready now. Send it on over. Give me a call, and we will get to you in just a minute. Now, next week's guest on the Rattlecast is going to be um, Kim Adonizio, and she has a brand new book out. Um, her new book is now we're getting somewhere and of course um Kim Adonizio was the feature of rattle number 67 it was an experimental issue we did I'd like to do more where we looked at Kim uh, we did an interview with Kim and then we did her students because she does a lot of uh, private workshops uh, out of her house for years she's done that so she has a lot of students a whole lineage and we um put together an issue tribute to the students of kim adenizio and then an issue issue with kim adenizio she's one of my favorite poets uh i just love the philosophers club is probably one of my favorite books and then she just keeps getting better as the books come out that is kim adenizio Rattlecast number 88 tuesday april 13th same time as always right here Uh, i'm just gonna give uh give me like 30 seconds i'll be right back after i stretch and get some stuff set up okay And I'm back. Thanks so much for your patience. Uh, now, as I mentioned, the prompt for this week was uh, just came up spontaneously in last week's interview with Denise Hamill. And it was this. This was this week's prompt. It was to write a letter poem to an abstract concept. This prompt. Write a letter poem to an abstract concept. Now, this is one of those weeks where um, I have very little time, so I'd, I made a micro poem. Uh, this is the week where I have to get the uh, summer issue and chapbook ready. We're also trying to pick the winners of the um, Rattle Chapbook Prize. So the next three chapbooks that we're going to have coming out starting in the fall, uh, we have it narrowed down to like 50 or so. And reading these books over and over again, trying to figure out which are our three favorite. Um, you know, Megan's been doing a lot of reading and, and I've been doing this. and Then we're going to switch. I don't know. It's just exhausting. So very short poems this week, but uh, this is my poem to an abstract concept. And uh, it is right here. Dear cognitive dissonance, it's not that I don't see you there over my shoulder everywhere. It's not that I don't... Oh, hang on. I even have a typo in there. It's not that I don't see you there over my shoulder everywhere. It's not that I don't see you're the glue that makes this thought seem true. I just don't care. That is my typo poem of the day. Uh, Dear Cognitive Dissonance. And um, here was uh, Megan's poem, Dear Success. Dear Success, you were a pirate and a queen. Then you were a movie star. You were the size tag on my jeans. You were the sultry stranger at the bar. You were my name in a book. You were nodding in Oprah's chair. You were a song with a catchy hook. You were cool, but you didn't care. Now you're the warm of an April day. You're the age I once labelled old. You're the field where my children play, the sun turning everything gold. That is dear success, that is Megan's poem for this week. Um let's see what you have for us. Um so this is uh the open lines, and we're gonna go to um anybody we haven't had on yet first, or at least try to, and we have a seven Yeah, we have a 248 and a 780 number. So two people, um, I'll call you in a second, but I should say that there's also a delay. So when I call you up, it's going to be a little confusing. I'll still be talking on the video, but I'll be talking to you live on the air at the same time. So when your phone rings or your Skype jingles, make sure you turn off the stream that you're watching or at least mute it so that you don't get confused. Then you have to have your poem in front of you. You can't read it off the screen because there's that delay. So you're not at the same spot the screen is. So have the poem with you, ready to read, and uh, turn off your live stream uh, when I call you. Just talk on the phone. But let's call up, um, let's do a a veteran, then we'll do uh, two new callers, and then we'll uh, get in order from there. Let's call up um, Caitlin Buxbaum first, since we talked about her from Alaska. See what Caitlin's got for us tonight. Hello. Hey. Hey, Caitlin, how you doing?
4: had you playing on the tv and my headphones weren't plugged in and then it started picking it up on my phone and (laughs) that
0: that is a lot of technology that is so cool but also a little weird to think that that my face is on a tv screen (laughs) somewhere (laughs) for some reason a computer screen doesn't seem as like awkward or something than a tv Uh, that's cool that you can have internet on your tv though
4: well, um, what I like is I'm casting from my phone mm-hmm. um, because, for one, it's an old smart TV, so the YouTube app doesn't really work very well, um, like built into the TV. So I cast it from my phone, and then I can do whatever I want on my phone and not have to worry about YouTube being like, you can't play me with it closed, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Anyway. Totally. Um, so, what do you have for us today? This is Dear Sorrow.
4: Yes, I finally did a prompt poem. Well, there were a couple prompt poems I think I did in the last couple of weeks, um, but were not shareable. <laughs> um, but I really like this one, and, and I actually saw this prompt somewhere else, too. Like, somebody else said, write an epistolary poem. Uh, and so I was like, oh, well, that works. Um, and it may have even been to an abstract concept, too. I don't know. Um, oh, but before I read it, I want to... Um, Alice mentioned uh, Matt Rasmussen and his book, Black Aperture, which I have, and people should get it. Um, I don't think she said, but it's basically like it even says on the back, Black Aperture is an elegy. So this is like about about his brother's suicide. Hmm. Um, And just really, um, when I first read it, I had not had the experience of knowing someone i had committed suicide and i read it again after that had changed um and it was just like even more powerful so i had to give that a little shout out and he was a professor at my school so
0: yeah yeah definitely that sounds like a, a powerful book how how old is how long when did it come out
4: mm, i think it's like 2009 hmm. it's it's kind of old now um 2013
0: Yeah, very cool. Well, definitely something to check out for sure. Um, And why did you pick Sorrow? Is there a reason or did you just?
4: Uh, Yeah, there are lots of reasons, but I'm not going to get into that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I realized that was probably a question you didn't want to (laughs) answer as soon as I said it. But
4: But, uh, you'll get some stuff from the poem too, like mm -hmm. general things that I think other people can relate to.
0: Okay, perfect. Well, let's hear it whenever you're ready.
4: (sighs) Okay. Dear Sorrow. What makes you so poetic, that the hand of a body overcome by you would continue to immortalize your name in the ink of grief on the skin of pages that clothes us poets? Is it the sound of you in our mouths, rounding our lips with your letters, or the indigo sky of your association? Blanketing the light of our cold, naked poems, plagued with understanding. I cannot believe you will ever leave us, clung as you are to our curves. A beautiful, permanent shadow cast on the poetry of our bones.
0: Excellent. on those Dear Sorrow by Caitlin Buxbaum. And I, I was thinking about it, looking at the Denise's poems and, um, and this too. And there's something about that. There's an intimacy to writing a letter to something. And then, and then you know what it's about kind of from the title. It's a really good prompt. I like it.
4: Yeah, I think so too. Um, and if you want to scroll down real fast, once again, I put it the same poem in two forms page to that document mm-hmm.
0: yeah we see uh,
4: it here. I don't know which one I like better which one do you like better uh,
0: you know I'm always going to say that I like the traditional poem better I like to be able to okay. the, the pace uh, you know the way that the line paces the speech is something that I always appreciate occasionally like like different forms do different things but in most cases I just like a, a traditional like slow down and focus on the, the sounds You know, that's that's kind of what line Mm -hmm. does.
4: I do remember you saying that now. But the reason that I ask is because, you know, you're writing a letter. So I felt like maybe it should look more like a letter. But I don't know. People can weigh in on that. Yeah, it's
0: interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. To me, it makes me want to read faster and and not enjoy the sounds. I don't know. But you never know, like, what is your own weird quirks or if that's like a universal thing. Like, I try to um you know try to figure it out because i listen to people read too and i think it's kind of universal that you read it faster and don't have as much sound you know attention to sound when it's the lines are longer i think that's how it just i think that's pretty universal but anyway yeah cool to see okay, that well Thank- thanks yeah <laughs> well thanks caitlin always good to see you yeah you too yep bye
4: bye
0: that was Kate, caitlin buxbaum with uh, dear sorrow let's call up let's do these uh two new phone numbers we see who that is we have a 780 who i'm calling right now and there are a few people in here that it could be let's see they're going yeah hey this is tim with red You're live on air who am i talking to
5: hey, this is guy chambers here
0: hey good great to uh have you on for the first time so what did you uh, write about this week
5: I wrote about, uh, like, uh, well, I call it Nighthawks. Like I said, I like to read the poem first and then get it down to the end, uh-huh. what, what I'm really talking about here. And actually, I uh, was supposed to put a deer Nighthawks. So so I'm going to read this poem here and uh, see what everybody thinks of it.
0: Okay, cool. Well, thanks for sharing this. Go ahead.
5: Okay, it's uh, supposed to be said, Dear Nighthawks, Beast of the Feathered Tribe. Hour of the witching hour. Sleep behind the sun eyes. Awaken in the dust. Take flight to steal away the harvest moon. Electrify the urban sorcery. Casting silhouettes over the needle hoodoos. Stimulating stalker. Lead of its kind. Beady eyes. Wings that rain over the stars, overtaken by the night, bearing a palm to, this, to seize the highland. Perch high above the nightlife, and be knighted as the uh, king of the night hawks. Interesting. So this is a uh, written, this, uh, what we want to do is a uh, written like for people who sleep all day and go out partying all night, so... <laughs> That's what it's all about. So it came up with the Nighthawks and then, the, like, with the Hawk and all of that, just to add into it, because basically, like the neon on hoodoos that just hit right on the spot says, yeah, and like a lot of people do, they go out party all night and say, hey, I'm king of the night here. I'm <laughs> the biggest party. So that's what it's all written about there.
0: Yeah, well, um, I like it. That, that's me, too. I, I'm a kind of a Nighthawk, too, although my partying is sitting around reading books and watching Mets games. <laughs>
5: but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, like, see, I'm glad it got This is my first time on. Like I said, we're listening last week to say try to get on there and and i listened listen to all these great poets and all that I said like I got a couple of books published out too, and everything else, so, but I want to get somewhere else like it's hard to go anywhere and find places to read right now because everything's shut down, so I'm going to uh uh places like this you know zoom or whatever not just just to talk to people, see other people's work and everything else both so I'm glad you got me on the show here. I sure appreciate it,
0: yeah, a lot of fun guy where where are you calling from? I forgot to ask.
5: Oh yeah, I'm up here. Uh, I live outside Edmonton, Alberta, Canada.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. I mm-hmm. thought I heard the the Canada in the voice there. Yeah, and then
5: the yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So uh, like, see I've been like I've been writing poetry for quite a few years. I've been published through a lot of magazines and literary magazines, and I mean, published in the states there and over in Australia and that too. And some newspapers have uh, published my stuff here and there. So. I'm just going to like just get my word out there and listen to other poetries out there. Like, you guys got a lot of good poetry people there. Sure appreciate listening to him.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. I'm glad you could join us and hope you call again soon.
5: Oh, yeah. I'll probably get back again then. Okay. All right, take care. A lot. Bye.
0: Yeah, let me add a guy to our phone book. So I can make international calls now, by the way. I figure out how to do that, although you pay by the minute. So, uh, that was a, a dollar poem from Guy Chambers. Um, worth much more than a dollar, though, for sure. Um, let's see. Um, next, let's do the other the other uh, new call. This is a 248 number. We'll see who that is. Hello? Hey, this is Tim with the Rattle. You're live on the air. I think I hear myself in the background, though, so I'm going to mute you for a second. Cut, cut me off. Okay, so who am I talking to?
6: My name is Penny Hackett Evans.
0: Hey, so glad you could call in. And uh, did you send me? I'm looking for. Uh, a... I did, dear memory. Ah, okay. Here we go. I got it. Um, and is there anything you'd like to say about it? Well, f- where are you calling from? First of all, I should ask.
6: Uh, Walnut Creek, California.
0: Oh, excellent! Not too far away from me. And uh, and is there anything you want to say about this poem before you read?
6: Well, I just so enjoyed Denise Duhamel last week. And, of, of course, this is definitely based on her poem, Dear Memory. Uh, it was just, uh, I had fun writing it, and I, I loved hearing hers.
0: Excellent. Well, I have it up, so go ahead whenever you're ready.
6: Okay. Dear Memory, after Denise Duhamel. I know you have only slipped out to get a cup of coffee, but already I miss you. Fear something bad will happen that you'll never return. All I need from you right now is my neighbor's last name, which I know you have given me before. It's scary to see how feeble I can be without you, and how you can just wander off at the crucial moment. When I need you, you seem to be on the phone with someone else. And then how you wake me at 3 a.m. with vivid details of something I never asked you to tell me. It's almost abusive the way you come and go like a waitress in a busy restaurant. And speaking of that, I need to know the name of that fish I ordered last week at the restaurant with the green door downtown by the hearing aid store whose name has slipped away too, like fish do. You too have gone down the river carrying my self-confidence in your tiny mouth.
0: Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. It was Penny Hackett Evans. I love the like fish do And I love the. uh, Certainly, all you need, uh, all I need from you right now is my neighbor's last name, which is so true. (laughs) That happens to me so much. Um, Thanks so much for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one and call it again soon. Okay, bye. Bye. Yeah, so that was Dear Memory after Denise Duhamel by Penny Hackett Evans. And let me add Penny to the phone book so that we know who it is next time. Now, let's see, what do we have? What do we have next? We have. um, Let's see. I'll list the names. These are the order we have right now. We have uh, Angela Gartner. We have Nivedita. Karthik. We have Richard Westheimer. Brent Stauffer. Joyce Stahl. Um, I think we have a poem by uh, Carl, Carlton Johnson. Brenda Kamarinsky, Spartacos. Tricia Rockwood. So we got a pretty good... Oh, and uh, Vicki Miko says she's got a long one. So we'll see if there's time. I'll see how long it is. <laughs> Um, I mean, Vicky Miko can crank out the poems like they they can be like ten pages long, so when she says they're long, they might be really long. We'll find out in a minute, but here's Angela Gartner first. Hi, Tim. Hey Angela. how are you doing Hi, tonight? I'm
7: doing
1: Good, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, um, and let me uh, get you resized here. okay, so uh, <laughs> not too big. <laughs> not too big, okay so um, so what do you have for us?
1: Um, I wrote for a deer Bed.
0: <laughs> dear bed yeah that's something i can uh i don't know i'm tired myself today a lot of work this week um dear yeah bed.
1: it's been that kind of month for me so
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's very inviting it's an inviting poem already but let's <laughs> let's hear it
1: dear bed i didn't mean to stop visiting you look comfortable all sunken with soft blue blankets askew the last time i saw you But I admit, there's been abuse. For that, I am so terribly sorry. The bags underneath my eyes are the proof of what's happening. You must believe me, I do need you. But I blame the people for this trouble. They plague me day and night about pranksters and game show hosts. The dogs who slide off porches and the cat that makes funny faces. Or how about the tattoo artists that draw their continuous loops? After all that, my son has to snoop in the kitchen for cookies I hide. I hear a ping and I have to see what the president just said. I'm a journalist and just sent a news story. What if I didn't quote properly? I know you understand my mind and how it works when I'm in a bind. Only you know what I dream and I'm thankful you can see me. So, I can't wait to snuggle amongst the pillows and warmth. Let's arrange our next date. And I promise... I will not be too late.
0: Excellent. Thanks for sharing that, dear bed. And you know, as a journalist, do you uh, find yourself like like having anxiety after you submit your stories that something's wrong? Like you mentioned, misquoting somebody, or is it does it eventually become such like you know routine that you don't even think about it?
1: Oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess. Like, and I'm, it's worse, too, because I'm a magazine editor. So Mm -hmm. after even submitting my own stories, I get anxiety, but then also submitting, making sure everyone else's stories are good. So it's like, I'm doing a little both and all that anxiety comes. So like, after it goes to the printer, I always have like anxiety for like two days. And then but then I just let it go. Like, mm-hmm. But I do. I still have that heart thumping. Yeah, there's yeah.
0: that like sort of check to make sure you didn't leave the stove on, like over and over again feeling. And I, I don't know. It, you think I, I've been doing this 17 years, and every issue that I send to the printer, I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I don't even want to look when it comes.
1: Well, yeah, I wait like a week mm-hmm. and and make sure. Sh- and like, if no one complains, I'm good. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly.
0: Because <laughs> you'll hear about it if something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'll hear about it first as the editor. It's always all my fault. But yeah. I just would hate to screw up on someone else's stuff. But but lately, too, I've been going down the wormhole of like, you know, I finish all my work and I, my mind's still racing and I'm like scrolling through all this, you know, crazy video stuff. And and I just like go I go to bed at like, two o'clock at night every night and i mm-hmm. 2 a.m or like i just stay up and i just never want to go to bed i miss my bed i really do <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well this is not how humans were meant to be we got to figure out some solution to this or life we've built for ourselves but <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah but thanks for sharing that angela always a oh pleasure. thank you
1: yep. have a good night
0: yep you too it was angela Gardner with dear bed uh let's call up who did i say was next uh, let's go to Nivedita. Actually, let me. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Nivedita. Hopefully, she's still there and not at work. Hello. Hey, Nivedita. How are you doing today?
8: Hey Tim, I'm doing great, thank you. How about
0: you? I'm doing great. Uh, what do you have for us?
8: Um, prompt point, as
0: always. And, and why did? How did you pick the the prompt topic that you did, or the the abstract concept? <laughs>
8: Um, This, actually, for a change, this was something I'd already written probably like three, four months back, and I was like, finally, I do not have to scramble last minute, like I normally do, (laughs) to actually sit and write down a poem. So this is something I'd written quite a while back, and I don't know, it's just, I mean, create, destiny, it's something we're all used to, and I was like, let's just put a spin on it and write an epistle to something rather than someone for a change. So that's, that's basically how this came to be.
0: Excellent. Well, go ahead. Whenever you're ready, I'll put it up for you. Okay. Great, thank you. Dear Kismet,
8: I once naively believed time moved along a linear trajectory, no longer so. I accepted that every action had a consequence that followed. Ever thought about how after effects are sometimes the origin? I see myself in thoughts of the past and dream of myself in the future, stare at my mistakes and applaud my successes, a spectator, then, now, and always, correlated into accepting this version of me. The steely gossamer strands of your web envelop me in a lover's embrace. Always entwined, I remain, a marionette in your implacable hands, forever yours, Nivedita.
0: Excellent. And of course, kismet means fate or destiny at the end, if you didn't know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that.
8: Thank you. Yeah, Have excellent poem, As
0: always, always a pleasure talking to you, Nivedita. Thank you, Tim. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Next up, we will do... Who is next? Uh, Richard Westheimer. Find Richard's poem. I think I saw it already. Hey, Richard, how you doing this evening? Hey,
9: Tim, I'm doing great, although tonight's interview messed me up because I have a one poetry book a month limit, and I bought Denise's book last week.
0: Uh-oh. <laughs> well now you have a poetry uh,
9: a poetry debt that needs to be repaid. Yeah, a poetry <laughs> debt if I have to go out and get Alice's book. I really liked her work a lot. It was uh, um it was it was great. Yeah, very um, image
0: based and similar in a way to, to your work is is image oriented, I'd say.
9: Well, if I could only write so so compactly as she does. I mean it, it that's one of the reasons why I'd like to get her book is just sort of like to you know, absorb that that uh, concentrated writing and find see if it finds voice in me.
0: So, what do you uh, have to share with us today?
9: Uh, so, I think I'll do my prompt poem, which I was not nearly as sort of like creative as other folks in terms of the abstract concept. I just went for the very first one. I think that Denise mentioned, which was love, mm-hmm. and then sort of ruminated about it for the for a week and looked on the internet for like how people think about love and almost everything i found was television advertisements oh interesting um so and then this quote from martin luther king so uh this is a real experiment it's uh, my first um Guzzle? Is that how you pronounce it?
0: I think so. I always say gazelle. I like the sound better, but it's actually oh, guzzle. Okay.
9: Well, you did this to me by uh saying that my sonnet was okay. And so I thought I'll just have I'll just keep exploring form and, and see whether anything feels like it is the form that works for me. Yeah. So we're gonna try this one on. Um so it uh it is called What We Learn of Love. Uh, And the epigraph is, I am not talking about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I am talking about a strong, demanding love. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dear love, I mistook you for lust, but now I've learned from watching TV there's much I've not yet learned. When the red-haired clown in the lemony coveralls affirms is loving it, I wonder what it is. I've not yet learned. Perhaps you, love, are the billions served, but as billions more than one, I've not yet learned. If love is in the air and on the wings of planes, I've inferred perhaps I must fly from here to find what I've not yet learned. Nothing says lovin' like something from the oven I've heard, but even as I need and heat love, I've not yet learned. Between you love and madness lies the obsession I observe. I have with planes and burgers and other possessions I have learned. I hear it must be love that makes a car for which I have yearned, four wheels driving me mad with a desire I've yet to learn. I guess love is madness and cars and billions of burgers served. And I can have it all if I buy it, sell it, and love it. So I will learn love is all I need as long as I spend the cash I've earned. Love is as easy as one, two, three, and I'll be happy and free. But what I learn, if I just turned from the TV, I'd see a man whose visage burns, a king of dreams, who thunders, that loves, love demands We learn love is tough, daring, and it is absurd to think love less than a quest. This we will learn, to love our neighbor as if we are concerned, enough to love both what we know and what we've not yet learned. So, love, it is you rolling down like waters that has emerged as the kind of love I desire, but I've not yet learned.
0: Oh, that was excellent, Richard. Thanks so much for sharing that. That was a great. I love the g- good and and you did a great job with it.
9: Oh, thank you, Tim. I love, I, love I, the, I love I love yeah. the challenges that we we give that you you give us.
0: Yeah, I love the turn there at the end. You kind of like break out of the the form in a way, that right where the poem breaks too. It's sort of a sonnet esque you know, transition there too. It's interesting. Thanks for for sharing, and writing that.
9: Oh, thank you, Tim. Yep. Have a good week.
0: You too. Good night.
9: Bye. It
0: was Richard Westheimer with uh, "What We Learn of Love." Let's go next in line was Brent Stauffer. I'm calling up Brent, see what Brent's got for us. I'll hang up and I'll try one more time. And if not, I'll just read Brent's poem. I know Brent answered, but then there was like static and stuff. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, it's just not working. So I'm getting myself. So I gotta, yeah, I'm getting my own voice. I'm just getting feedback. But it's my own voice feeding back. So I think, uh, sorry, Brent, but I will just read your poem for you. This is Letter of Apology, Brent Stauffer's poem. And uh, let's do it right now. Then I'll read Carlton Johnson's, then we'll get to some other uh, open open mic poems. Yes, you can see he was there. We just couldn't hear. Um, Okay, Letter of Apology. Let me zoom in a little bit. Letter of Apology. Dear Restless Beauty, where have you gone? You've been gone so long with furiously brandished broom i chased you all through the house with mighty swings i knocked over lamps and nightstands yes i've had had it with you as one man stampede i spewed my slogans of futility and betrayal cornering you in the bedroom i dropped my domestic instrument to clinch you in a terrible tango We careened off the wallpapered walls, carving jagged chasms between the lilies. In a flash, you fled through an open window. The night outside was waiting and glad to take you into the spaces between stars. Oh, beauty, that was so long ago. I've cleaned up the house, but it's no good. I leave all the doors open all the time. Maybe I glimpsed you this morning in these last hours of waning winter. A green stalk bowed its head over the gray sidewalk. Was that your naked shoulder leaning again, leaning inside the closed bud? It's a beautiful poem. And again, letter of apology by Brent Stoffer. You can feel the intimacy that that form, the the letter writing. Maybe that's one thing. Um, you know, if a poem's not quite working, maybe writing it as a letter is a good piece of advice. Um, you know, to 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 change it because um, these are all working really well let's see we have a few um, so Bade Carr would like us to share a poem I think a letter poem then we have um, Carlton Johnson I'll do Carlton's first let me, um, let me put this up really quick and uh, just for next time okay so this is um, this is Carlton Johnson's poem Dear Maturity screen here dear maturity what happened you were supposed to be here and yet i was waiting in the rain as i grabbed a cab i was waiting for you at the train station in milan as the 314 from brussels arrived empty of you i paused to smoke a gallo wafting in a haze of clove smoke and yet you never arrived When I was younger, I did not care for you, but now older, I wish I had known you then. When you first came round my home, you warned me to balance my checkbooks, to have good dental hygiene, to do my laundry weekly, and to work first before fun. Now I see you as you see me. Help me to see life. Another train is arriving tomorrow. Let's plan to meet before time slips away. Excellent ending. That was Carlton Johnson with Dear Maturity. And anytime I read these poems, it's like, um, you know, which words does Tim not know how to say? I have no idea what this word is. <laughs> I've, I've never seen it before. I have no idea how to pronounce it. But um, galous, Galoisis, I'll have to look that up later. Um, but thanks for sharing that, Carlton. Dear Maturity by Carlton Johnson. And uh, Mary Bade Carr, I'm going to put this in this uh, document over here. And share uh, maribade's poem. this is dear Marriage. Let me get it situated so it looks nice on the screen um, and uh here we go. I think that's a right a good size. Let's see dear where's my dear marriage this is maribade Car let me uh, There we go. Dear Marriage, You are the deer in the forest, Standing so close, Taking a leap with your hind legs first. You mostly stare at me, On my protected wooden platform, And I refuse to move away from you. I will stand with you, Measured composure, Breathing the irrational way. We have these royal palms fanning us from above. You make me feel free to accept that I am, Just like you both wild and crowned there is dirt in many of my crevices but you can't see that what you see is the beauty the movement the flow i remit and follow step by step we are ancient yet changed by the traffic infringing on these woods and i am hoping you know that i am looking into your acacia doe eyes because you are noble to me you are something i feel in that column that churns from my stomach to my chest because you give me a steel reserve a place i can prune my branches beside and trust that you know i am still here waiting to grow and you will take my seeds and spread them wider than i could ever commit to without you it's a beautiful poem dear marriage a great great poem to marriage thanks for sharing that maribade car and let's see let's call up somebody now let's call up spartacos we also have Brenda Kamarinsky. We have Patricia Rockwood. We have Vicky Miko. Um, and this is Spartacus coming in. Oh, we have some photographs in this. Hey, Spartacus, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Let me um, get this fixed for really quickly so we can see you. Here we go. And um, so, so what do you have for us? You have these pictures that you sent with the poems. Um, what does this have?
10: I did recently. It's a place called St. Audrey's Bay. It's an area in Somerset in UK. So I had these pictures and I was thinking that I could read something about memory. Yeah, and for sure. then I came up with this poem. And this trip inspired me to create the poem. And basically, I was looking for fossils, but I understood that what matters in life is things that last. And emotions, um, experiences, are that kind of things that last.
0: Yeah, these are really... Where exactly is this, did you say?
10: It's in... There is an area called Somerset in UK. Mm -hmm. It's very near to Bristol.
0: Yeah, these are really interesting rock formations.
10: If you could show some of these pictures, yeah, yeah, and I'm the scrolling other through now. could yeah. see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, these are. Um, is this uh, is Giant's Causeway near here? It looks similar. The way the rocks are, sort of all over.
10: I have no idea. <laughs>
0: um, oh, and a beautiful be waterfall honest. here too at the end. It yeah, is.
10: yeah, I've never, I've never seen something like that. And yeah, on right. the top of the waterfall, there is a tree.
0: Yeah, that is, that's really cool. Well, let's hear it. Whenever you're ready, go ahead. I have it on screen for everybody at home. Okay,
10: cool. Chasing fossils in St. Audrey's Bay. My dearest memory, I woke up early this morning in my room. I'm not going to wash my hair or shave. We just need to pack up quickly and go away. My beautiful memory, me and you in St. Audrey's Bay. You take pictures of the glittering sea. A waterfall cascades down the cliff to join the wholeness of the sea. My sweetheart, try to remember the roots of the dried tree. The branches stand on a cliff. How they wait for the salt water to touch them gently. My darling, I feel sad. All conquering time is precious. Let me feel the moment when the waves carve figures in the rough rocks. Let me touch the curved pebbles. My dear one, a pebble with fingerprints and a pebble with the alphabet of the sea. I count the pebbles and you throw them into the sea. I feel angry. I look at the huge sculpture on the beach. It resembles a sitting made of limestone. Two people are arguing and their dog is swimming. My comrade, a high tide is coming. We have to go. The sea will claim everything for itself. Did you find any fossils? Mnemosyne. My beloved one rests on a rock. There are no clouds in the sky. I look at the small bird that moves quickly. My sweetheart, you open your hand. You look at it like a fortune teller. You put a small cell on my palm. I can now listen to the wind of the ocean. It is my lullaby.
0: Uh, Beautiful poem. That was Spartacus. I love that. Um, I love the part where... uh... Where, um, I don't remember where it went, but just wonderful uh, descriptions of that, that beautiful waterfall. The place waterfall. was
10: yeah. so, so wonderful um, that I think that everyone, um, if they went there, they would be inspired so much. They could write um, a few words and create a poem. I'm sure about that. And it's, it's it goes wonderfully. It was something like um, a life experience for me.
0: That's wonderful. I'm so glad you could share it with us in these pictures, too. Thanks so much, Spartacus.
10: Thank you very much, and enjoy your evening. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.
0: And that was uh, Spartacus with uh, Chasing Fossils in St. Audrey's Bay. And let me show you just one last time these, uh, these photos here, because what, what an inspiring place that is. I must, at the beginning, I thought maybe it was like the base of the pyramids, but this is unnatural. Like, look at that, look at that rock, those layers of limestone and whatnot. I'm not a geologist, (laughs) but uh, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, And let's see, next up, we will have um, James Gaynor. Let's call up James Gaynor. Hey, James, how are you doing tonight?
11: Oh, hi, Tim. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. And you're, uh, you're calling from, like, New York City area, right?
11: That's right. I'm calling from Manhattan.
0: Yeah, and what do you have to share with us tonight?
11: Um, well, I loved uh, last, uh, last week's interview uh, with uh, Ms. Demal. I thought she was just amazing. And uh, I love the idea of the prompt, and I sat down and wrote this almost immediately, and it's a letter to the imperfect, aka uh, I'm perfect,
0: Interesting. Remind us, people who aren't um, <laughs> professional writers, I don't even know the imperfect versus the perfect tense. What's the difference?
11: Well, I got kind of interested in it just because it, it's such a silly title for uh, a you know a tense. I've been looking at at, at gra- grammar rules of grammar and how they apply to in poetry, and basically this is this is all about the definition of the imperfect tense which is a verb form that combines past tense, a reference to past time, and imperfect aspect, a reference to continuing or repeated event or state in the past, present, or future. And I thought, wow, this is just really something. So I looked it up and I thought, okay, well, this is is an abstract concept if ever I've heard one. So I wrote a letter to the imperfect tense.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks, thanks for sharing this and, and teaching us, because I, I need the refresher for sure. Go ahead whenever you're I ready.
11: I that conversation we had about the format, because I, I very specifically, I don't normally write in Justified, but I thought it because it kind of like is a dictionary definition, I wanted it to sort of reflect that.
0: Interesting, yeah. Well, let's let's hear it.
11: Okay, so dear M, I get why you're tense. It's challenging to be the enemy of the good while describing action that's ongoing right now or in the past or in the future because wherever or whenever there's an action, flood or not, there's always a reaction, anticipated or not, and lost somewhere in there, the perfect isn't. And that must be exhausting for a concept embracing the past, present, and future in a grammatical, cosmological whole. But since you were the verb in question. When I was in Kyoto in 1985, what was I thinking when I was deciding that a frog tattoo on my ass would be an enduring, continuing, repeating homage to Basso then, now, and in the future, that my left buttock and I are now, were then, and will for some time to come, be sharing? (laughs) Imperfectly and sincerely yours, James W. Gaynor. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well that was excellent that was not a turn i expected james that was funny thank, <laughs> thanks for sharing that <laughs> <laughs>
11: thank you tim it was such fun to write
0: yeah i'm sure it fun to, fun to listen to too thanks for sharing that james thank you bye bye it was james gainer with letter to the imperfect aka I- i'm perfect tense and maybe with that um <laughs> with that uh that image in mind, I'll be able to keep them straight, which I have never been able to do in my uh, 20 years. Uh, let's call up. We have Brenda Kamarinsky, Patricia Rockwood. Let's see. Brenda Kamarinsky first. Hello. Hey, Brenda. How are you doing tonight?
7: Good. How are
0: you doing? I'm doing great. And yours is Dear Emotions. Is there anything you want to say about it?
7: Uh, No, it's... It's short. <laughs> I loved the interview last week and I I loved the interview this week. So, thank you so much
0: for doing these. Oh, they're just my pleasure. I was I was talking about it earlier and they just they make the uh, issues come to life, you know. I see all these poets, oh, yeah. you know, I interact with them over email mostly and read their poems and sort of get weirdly you get like a lot of personal details cuz you read all these poems from people, but then are words on the page and all of a sudden they're uh, real people. It's really interesting for me personally. I d- I do it if uh I think you need the audience or no one would show up, but I do it anyway. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, um, I, I really enjoy them. So, and, and it was a fun prompt. So.
0: It was, yeah. Well, go ahead whenever you're ready. I have it up okay. for everybody.
7: Dear Emotions, You want control. I know. You want to take me up mountains and drag me into valleys. But I shove you down and let you fester and ferment. Pressure builds until you explode out. I swing wildly with your pushing, my feet reaching for the sky.
0: Oh, that was a wonderful short poem, Brenda. I love That's a perfect <laughs> example of that short form that I'm always going for and never, never making <laughs> my own. <laughs> well, Thank you. Thank you again for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for calling in. Have a good night. You too. It was Brenda Kamarinsky with uh, Dear Emotions. And, um, now let's call up. Let's see. So oh we have a 360 number two, a new caller. So we'll do um and I think that is um Sandra Unknown, who will call right after we call Patricia Rockwood. Um I almost missed that though. Yeah, 360 called about ten minutes ago. Um let me do Patricia Rockwood first though. So uh and where did uh Patricia go. I know I saw her on here. There's Patricia. Okay. Patricia has dear tomorrow. It's interesting to uh, see what abstract concepts everybody's choosing. Hello. Hey, Patricia, you're live on the air. How are you doing tonight?
3: Hi, Tim.
0: I'm good. Thanks. Um, And what do you have to share with us?
3: Um, it's, uh, Dear Tomorrow.
0: Uh, is anything you want to say about it before you read, or do you just want to dive in?
3: Um, I'm just going to dive in. Um, it was, it was fairly easy. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how I chose it. You've been asking everybody how they chose <laughs> their subject, and I don't really remember. It was, it was probably the first thing I thought of, I guess.
0: Interesting. Well, I'm, Today, I'm viewing tomorrow, it like a, like yesterday. a Vorschach test or something. I was <laughs> yeah. trying to analyze everything. That's just what well, curious about, but (laughs) (laughs) go ahead, Dear Tomorrow, whenever you're ready, I have it.
3: Either that or nothing, and terrify, I'm always on tiptoes. In meditation, it's all about this minute, the still point, eternal present, the letting go of it all, the only peaceful place. Tomorrow, you are the deadly thrust of the heron's sharp beak, and you are the way it opens its soft gray wings to the sky and disappears among the scattering evening clouds.
0: Excellent. That was Dear Tomorrow by Patricia Rockwood. Thanks so much for sharing that, Patricia.
3: You're welcome. Have a good night. You
0: too. Okay. Let's see. Hopefully, I think, uh, make sure I had, hopefully I didn't have it on mute for too long. I don't think I did. I think it was just when I flipped screens, it was muted. Okay, and now we have two new callers. We have a 360, which I'll call first, and then a 602, which I'll call second. And that's probably gonna end up, um, and close out the night, because we have about 10 minutes left. So let's, uh, let's do that. Let's try 360. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle. You are live on the air. Who am I talking to? This is Sandra Yanone. Ah, good yeah Sandra, you know, and I'm so glad you could call in and join us uh you know the, you, there's only so many new names, so I figure it's one of the new names um, What do you have for <laughs> us tonight, and where are you calling from too let me let me ask you that
7: i'm sure I'm calling from olympia washington
0: and uh and and what do you have for us? Letter to the quiet hands but
7: the quiet hands it's i i i it the prompt that everybody has been working off of. Prompted me to think that this poem is kind of fitting in with the theme. It's not quite a concept, but but it is a letter poem. So well, perfect,
0: yeah. Well, I anything. Thought, this is open lines. Anything goes actually. anyway. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter. But uh, it's it's definitely close to the prompt.
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, shall we shall we have a go at it?
0: Yeah, go ahead. I have it up for everybody.
7: Great letter to the quiet hands. For under the imaginary table that separates me from my readers don't we secretly clasp each other's hands Bruno Schultz letters and drawings of Bruno Schultz. Riding this train alone as one can surrounded by the heavy breathing of commuters I see the pair of gloves on the seat beside me they look so much like they belong to you these quiet hands. I want to touch them, touch all they have touched in my absence, but the train keeps moving, the dusk past my window, and I can't shake the news of the last train wreck in Boston, all the unclaimed gloves, most without their matches, found in the debris nor could I find you on the overnight train to Leningrad to comfort the restless strangers in their berths. The Russian snored above me in my sleeper. I waited for some accident in the dark to break his neck. And just when I couldn't wait any longer, a single key fell onto my blanket. You didn't catch it. I tucked it into the pocket of his overcoat, and went out to stand watch in the corridor. Alone, I pressed my hand against the glass, cold. Only the pulse of my breath, reclouding the pain, let me know I was held there at precise moments. When I felt the few hands use me to steady their passing bodies against the unpredictable... Against the unpredictable,
0: sorry. I'm... Oh, maybe. Do you want me to read the last three lines for you? <laughs> I have it right here.
7: Oh my gosh, sorry, sorry, I've got
0: it. Okay. When I felt the few
7: hands use me to steady their passing bodies against the unpredictable shifts of the tracks, I knew none of them were you. Nothing feels like the grip of your hands will ever come
0: back that was an excellent poem thanks so much for sharing that uh thank you to the quiet hands um and that's just wonderful sandra sandra you know is that how you say it
7: yep that's exactly it
0: excellent well i'm so glad you could join us and call in for the first time always a pleasure to have new callers hope you can call in again soon
7: thanks so much tim what a great evening
0: yeah my pleasure have a good night you too Okay, so it was Sandra Yanone, and um, let me add Sandra to the address book so we know who it is next time. And um, let's see, we've eight minutes left. I think, um, let's try the 602 number, and this might be the last caller. It depends how long this poem is. We'll see. I think this might be um, Marco Dominguez, who is a poet we've published before in Rattle, but I've never talked to, so... Um, Hey, Marco, can you hear me? You're live on the air.
12: Uh, Yes, I can hear you.
0: Hey, thanks so much. I'm so glad you could call in. Um, Where are you calling from?
12: I'm calling from uh, Mesa, Arizona.
0: Excellent. And you've been in Rattle, too. I can't remember the name of the poem off the top of my head. Do you remember what it
12: was? Uh, Yeah, it was called The Edge, and it was in your your poetry slam issue. Oh, that's right.
0: That's right. The Edge. That was a while ago.
12: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's been a while.
0: Well, it's so great to finally hear, hear your voice. Um, and so glad you could join us.
12: Oh, no, thank you. I, you're doing great work. I always follow what you're doing. No, good job.
0: Very cool. Well, thanks. Uh, and so what poem do you have? This is St. Lord. Is there anything you want to say about it uh, to introduce it?
12: Yeah, this is a poem. Uh, it's it's not uh, based off the prompt, but it kind of matches it a little bit uh, from Lise to Hamill. Uh, it's one that I published a few years back in a magazine that's not publishing anymore called uh, Narrow Fellow.
0: Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm.
12: yeah, so I, I figured I'd call in a chair. I'm like, I've listened to your show a few times, so I'm like, it'd be nice to, to say hello.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you did.
12: Let's hear it. Whenever you're ready, I'll put it up. Okay. It's called Saint Lord. Dear Saint Lord of a thousand apologies, there is a girl hooking her fingers through a chain link fence. Twenty years from now, she'll break my heart, and I won't like it. I'm sorry I let her down enough to stop loving me. I'm sorry her father was caught crossing some border somewhere. I'm sorry she has a lost belief in men. Now for me, I weaken like full donation baskets at the richest church. I lack the self-worth of $100 bills. Forgive me the broken-hearted days of inactivity, the staring at birds flying away and not flying myself. I couldn't help it. Like a chain-link fence, she hooked herself into me, and I became grounded, hoping she wouldn't let go, hoping she would climb.
0: Ah, wow, that was an excellent poem. Thanks so much for sharing that. But Saint Lord, and where was it published?
12: Uh, in uh, Narrow Fellow, uh, about Oh, that's right, Narrow
0: Fellow, you mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a wonderful poem. I'm so glad you could share it here, too. Uh, thanks.
12: Yeah, and it's so good to, to actually talk to you. It's been a long time.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, yeah, no,
12: uh, continue the good work. I love, love what you're
0: doing. Thanks, appreciate it. Have a good night. Okay, you too. Bye. Yeah, so let me, uh, that was Marco A. Dominguez, and uh, let me put Marco in the phone book so we know who it is next time. Um, and we are pretty much out of time. So I don't think we're going to be able to do the, the longer poem from Vicki this time. Um, and there are a few other people who, let's see, who sent poems that didn't call in. I, yeah, there are a couple of people that we haven't got to yet. I'm sorry not to be able to get to everybody this week. Yeah, there's like four, yeah, five people we haven't gotten to. But, um, but thanks, everybody, for joining me, as always. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Um, I think maybe I will. Um, as I mentioned, next week's guest is going to be um, Kim Adenizio, and I thought maybe I would just close out just to get another poem on here. Give me one second. I'm going to grab this book after reach over from my bookshelf. But I'm going to grab one of my favorite poems of all time. It's very short, so I'm going to read it here. Okay, so um, this I thought I would just read this to close out the show. I like to do a, a preview, and we only published one of. Um, of um Camenanchio's poems um and she might want to read that next week so I didn't want to read that plus it's a little longer but this is my favorite contemporary sonnet and it's a poem I just I just love the the richness of it and the the tangibility of it and the way that the poem the sonnet form moves through all this enjambment and this is uh the sound by Camenanchio the sound Mark says that the suffering that we don't see still makes a sort of sound, a subtle, soft noise, nothing like the cries or screams that we might think of. More the slight scrape of a hat doffed by a quiet man, ignored as he stands back to let a lovely woman pass her dress just brushing his coat. Or else it's like a crack in an old foundation. Slowly widening, the stress and slippage going on unnoticed by the family upstairs, the daughter leaving for a date, her mother's resigned sigh when she sees her. It's like the heaving of a stone into a lake before it drops. It's shy, it's barely there, it never stops. That is The Sound by Kim Adonizio. And I I use that as an example of what sonnets can do and how much enjambment can play and how much we were talking about sound and the silences and you can really see it here with all this jam, and, and then at the very end it slows down and there's all that silence in space that's from uh, the philosophers club one of the earlier books by kim adenizio and i started to share that to close out the show now before we go let me tell you what the prompt is going to be for next week and that will be right here the prompt is going to be oops that's saint lord that's not right The prompt is going to be this out of the way. Write a poem that contains the following randomly selected adjectives large, naughty, and salty. So, those are three words that Megan picked in this prompt. Write a poem that contains the following randomly selected adjectives large, naughty, and salty. And that's going to be your prompt for next week. Um, good luck. We're going to have a lot of, uh, of those words in it, but it's going to be interesting to see where everyone takes it. That's a lot of fun of these prompts on the open lines. So I'm um, looking forward to that. And as I mentioned, next week's guest is going to be Kim HCO. She has a brand new book out from Norton. Now we're getting somewhere. Uh, that'll be Rattlecast number 88, Tuesday, April 13th, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a good night. And I will talk to you soon. Good night.